Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you back. So it's just me for this podcast. And what I was thinking we would do is to go back into our paths and explorations with color. I don't know if you've listened to my previous podcasts, but so far, I had a date with yellow. I expressed my fear of red and told you a little bit about what happened with that. And then I had a, a love affair with green. I've always liked green. So I went into that a bit in one of my podcasts not too long ago. So in this one, what I thought we would dive into is the big expanse of blue. You know, blue seems to be such a popular color. It always seems like whenever I'm giving a talk and I'm asking the audience, what's your favorite color? And I go through all of the different colors to see how people will respond. And they're supposed to raise their hand when they like the color. Oh my goodness. Blue gets an overwhelming number of hands shooting up. So many people like blue. And much like the other colors, blue carries its own spectrum. Everything from baby blue, kind of that sky blue, to an aquamarine, kind of the the shimmery color of the ocean. And then even into indigo, which is a darker, deeper blue. And if we took it much further along, we could even say adventures on into violet. But really what I'm going to be talking about in this podcast is blue, all forms of blue. And for me personally, I've got to say, I'm not a huge fan of blue. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, I don't really have many things in my wardrobe that are blue. My husband loves blue. In fact, when we moved into one of our first homes together, the first thing he did was he painted his music room blue. And every time I would go in that room, I don't know, I I would feel cold. I I just felt like it took me inward. And I didn't really like that feeling. It felt a little bit, I don't know, like um, I was going to have to do some work or something on the inside. Not on the outside, but it felt like it was taking me deeper within. I don't know if everybody has that experience. Maybe you don't. But there is something really, oh, I I guess, you know, it's something that gets us to explore our inner depths with blue. I mean, if we think about nature, what do we have? We have the sky. I mean, we're sandwiched between the ocean, which most of the planet is made of, is a lot of water. And just think of the depths of that blueness. And then we look up at the sky And it just feels infinite. And as we watch the sky traverse from morning until night, what we see is that it becomes more deep, more blue, and eventually indigo. And things that we didn't see during the daytime come out at night, come out against that indigo, 
backdrop, which is so beautiful. And we start to see the twinkling of stars. We might even see some planets. We might see the moon. And all of those things symbolically represent what's always there, but sometimes we just don't have the ability to see. We don't have that insight. So that's what I do like about blue, is that symbolically, it tells me that we're going within, which is sometimes an easy process and other times not so much. Kind of depends on your mood. In fact, I feel like blue is so connected to our mood, right? Because if you even think about the language that we use when it comes to the color blue, there's the popular one, which is feeling blue. How often is it that we feel blue? Now, how did that phrase start? It's fascinating because if you look at the science of blue, and I go into this quite extensively in my whole detox book where I devote one chapter to every color, I scoured the science, and I looked to see whether or not there's any objective data to show how these colors are impacting us. How do they impact our body and how do they impact our mind? And one thing I found out, just big and broad, a general finding, was that the two colors that are most well studied are red and blue. Definitely. I mean, there's hardly anything on orange. There's a little bit on yellow, just a tad on green. And white, you know, there's a little bit on white, but my goodness gracious, there is so much on blue. And if you look at the studies on blue and how it impacts us, and again, this doesn't mean that all of us are going to respond the same way. Maybe it's just in these studies where they saw these effects with these certain populations. But let me go through a couple of them and give you some of the quirky science tidbits because they're kind of fun. So in general, if we look at the pattern of the studies, what do they show us globally? If we look from up above, like we're the sky, and we look down, what do we see with these studies? Well, there, there's a lot regarding the brain. I just summarized it for you. There's a lot on the brain and mental function. So essentially what we see with blue light and in the presence of blue, people become more alert, which is kind of shocking to me because when I would walk into Mark's music room, I was not alert. I felt kind of dreamy. I felt maybe it was all the guitars and the music. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know. Blue is not warm and fuzzy for me. But maybe because it takes us inward, it allows us to focus. It allows us to concentrate and get into that interior space. So the studies say more alertness, more mental acuity, better cognitive function, and better sleep. Better sleep. How many people can be using that? I mean, I, I'm just shocked at how many people aren't sleeping good quality hours and they're not sleeping a long duration either. They're really shortcutting themselves and our sleep ties into so many different things. So these studies suggest that when we expose ourselves to these lights that have a blue hue, we get all of these great effects in our lives. Whether we are helping with melatonin, 
So I'm sure you've heard of this, but there there is this circulating around uh, in in the regard of people being on technology way too late, way too late at night, and they're subjecting themselves to too much blue light. And this is changing our circadian rhythm, changing melatonin, and not allowing us to sleep properly. So blue ties into sleep, as the studies have suggested. So I find that is really curious because, you know, there's kind of this dichotomy going on with being really alert and then sleeping really well. Isn't that interesting that blue can straddle both of those? Maybe it's about the time of day, too. So don't get too fixated on the studies and what they're showing with blue. What I think is more important with any of these colors as we're talking about them is your experience of blue. Your experience, because you're going to have different memories, different associations, and so... That's what you want to go by, your personalized relationship with color. Goodness, you know, we talk about personalized medicine. Why not personalized everything? It doesn't have to be that we subscribe to color theory or scientific studies on color and that becomes the standard and the norm for everybody. So I'm a huge believer in the personal experience. And that's really what I want to cultivate here with you in this teeny tiny but yet expansive space. So yeah, blue's really interesting and the science of blue is there and what I want to do is get a little bit deeper. You know, I actually think that blue cultivates depth. And so if we look at each of these colors, not just literally, but we get into the symbolism this symbolism. And and again, you have to take your own symbolism. I'm going to go with kind of my, my overall feeling on these. And it's based on language, how we use the word blue, and, and some other reference points. Some of it ties back to ancient traditions too. So if blue represents our depth, there's a lot underneath, right? It's almost like we are showing who we are on the outside through the day. But on the inside, there's this whole other world. And that's why I've always loved what ancient traditions have said about how we have all of the answers we need on the inside. But not many people want to go on the inside. It's a bit intimidating sometimes because it's hard to navigate. It's so huge and expansive. And what if you find some things that you don't really like? There's that too. In fact, that's one of my pet peeves. Being in this whole space of personal growth, there's a lot of this whole thing about happyology. Being happy, forcing it, faking it, showing your good side or what we think is our good side. And what I think blue calls us to is to being true. Look at that phrase, true blue. We don't say true red. We don't say true yellow. We say true blue. There's something really true and authentic that resonates with blue. So it's being true to who we are. And so when I see people trying to to force their, their positivity, I just feel like we're covering something up. In fact, on my Facebook page not too long ago, 
I told um, people reviewing my page, whoever reads my posts, and sometimes I get a little bit philosophical. This is where my blue comes out. So I was reading this book called Feed Your Demons. It's by a Buddhist nun by the name of, and I can't pronounce her first name, but her last name is spelled A-L-L-I-O-N-E, Elioni. I think she married an Italian man, and I think it's pronounced Elioni. Great book, Feed Your Demons. And you know what? She turned the whole area of personal growth on its head, in my opinion. Even though she's talking about kind of therapy and strategies to overcome things that you feel like are insurmountable, she took a totally different tact that I loved. And what it was, was as you can tell by the title, Feed Your Demons, was that instead of running from things that we don't want to look at, She's saying, no, let's go towards them. Maybe there's something underneath that fear, underneath that anger, underneath that grief that we've got to get at. And I actually really like that. I've experienced her work in a workshop some years ago. And this work can be done either with a partner, somebody you trust and love, Or it can be done on your own. She has a five-step process of how you do this. So I'm not going to go into her five-step process. Definitely look into her book if you feel like this whole topic resonates with you. She also has some stuff online that you can look at. And it's all incredibly practical. That's what this podcast is all about is I just want practical things to help you living more colorfully. So in this one... What my call to you is, is to go deep with blue. Go deep into your ocean. Go deep into your sky. There's a lot there. And maybe, yeah, it's not all pleasant. But you never know what you're going to find, even if you're exploring your demon. So let me just tell you a little story. This story comes to mind talking about this feed your demon idea. So I studied with a Native American teacher some years ago. And I love a lot of the the stories that are cultivated around nature. And one of the stories was that in a forest, there was this monster. And this monster was coming into the forest, creating lots of ruckus. And a lot of the animals were afraid. So the animals got together and they said, let's send to the monster our most fearful and, and intimidating animal from this forest in order to go and scare the monster and to get him out of here. So they kind of lined up in the order of who was most scary to who was least scary. And as you can imagine, the first person or first animal in the line was the bear. He was the scariest. So he was going to go first to try to just scare off this monster. So he walks up to the monster And he growls. He gives his biggest growl. He's showing his teeth. His eyes are are just big and, and bold. And he's got his claws. And the moment he does this, the monster reacts and screams right back at him. The monster gets bigger. It becomes more formidable, more intimidating, more scary than he was to start with. So the bear walks away and realizes that, goodness, he he couldn't scare the, the monster. So who's next in line? 
we've got the tiger. The tiger struts up there confidently and much like the bear, gives a huge growl as well, shows his teeth, he's got his claw, takes a swipe at the monster. How does the monster respond? Well, much like he did for the bear. He only became bigger, swelled up, got big, and, and just became even more frightening. The other animals in the line were, were getting even more scared. So the tiger trotted off. He couldn't make a difference. The monster just continued to enlarge with every animal that would present itself that was in this line. Until finally, at the very end of the line, you have the least fear-provoking animal in the forest. Can you guess who it is? It's the deer. The deer is, is so gentle, so compassionate, so caring. So the deer walks up to the monster. And the deer stands there and looks at him with this very loving gaze. And the moment the deer does that, the monster goes from being this ginormous entity and scales all the way back down to his really small self. And he was crying. The deer continued to look at him with love. And all the monster wanted was love. It was this sense of love. That fear sometimes in our lives is the absence of that love. So when we are feeling blue, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling anxious, when we feel grief, when we feel anger, when we feel any of those emotions that don't make us comfortable, there's something underneath that that's really deep, that's really blue. And we need to get to it. And we can do that in a lot of different ways. Of course, we can do it in a nutritional way. I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so I always go to food first. We can do emotional work. We can work with a therapist or a practitioner with a good friend. Maybe we want to start moving and, and doing things physically to kind of move things and shift through our bodies. Maybe we're attracted to things that we visualize or guided imagery, or maybe we like meditation. Maybe we like energy work. Whatever it is. Sometimes it takes multiple things to really get into that depth that we all have. And color can be that thing too, that takes you right in like a portal, like a doorway that color blue can just take us to the expanse of our inner sky. And we can start to see the different stars within us twinkling rather than covering them up. Because there's some real beauty there, that's for sure. You know, I, for one, wasn't always feeling blissful. I, I had a lot of moments in my life where I would say I was blue. And how would I define blue? I was depressed. I mean, I was really depressed. I think all of us, and I'm not unique in that situation. I know, much like me, you have also felt deep, dark pits of depression. It's almost like it's the deepest blue I can think of. It's the kind of blue where you feel hopeless. You feel like nothing is out there for you. It feels dark. It feels empty. It feels like an abyss. And I have felt that in my life 
for various reasons. And as you're going to find out in this podcast, there are certain things about my life that I want to bring to light because I think that sharing these things rather than covering them up is, is healthy all around. Because, you know, sometimes we see health people out there, we listen to their podcasts and we think, ah, I want to be more like that. Like, they're just happy all the time. They're so vital. They're so healthy. And, and they're, they just, they're the most perfect person that I can ever imagine. You know, I did a lot of that. I put people up on a pedestal all the time. But you know what? There's no sense in doing that with me, even if you were thinking, remotely thinking about it. Because I am right there on the ground with you experiencing life in the ways that we do. I have similar stories. I have similar experiences. And I can totally relate. I know not all of us have had the same exact experiences, but I've had some some pretty traumatic ones that I don't even talk about that much. Like back when I was a teenager, my teen years were... I would say terrible. T for teen, T for terrible. And that's kind of an understatement. I don't know what happened during that time, but there was a lot swirling and I had some just rough emotional waters to really navigate. I tried committing suicide twice. As you can see, that was unsuccessful. And each time I tried to attempt suicide, It was like I peeled other layers of myself back. Those are huge moments of learning. It's like our family came together in different ways. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of mistrust. I mean, goodness, it was like the great big ugly. And there was a lot of shame around it too. I mean, even for me now, as I'm in my 40s, I I don't think I've told many people about it. But you know, my mom said something to me once. She said, Deanna, in your 40s, things are going to change. You're going to care less about what people think, and you're going to be more truly you. And I kind of feel like that. You know, in the shaman tradition, in the Native American tradition in which I've studied, there's this thing about how when we go through a lot of trauma or stress or tragedy, we kind of lose pieces of ourselves. We kind of shut them off. It's like we stop remembering They become like the monsters. They become like the demons. And so there are a variety of different techniques to get these pieces back. And take that as a metaphor if you'd like. But it's basically some really deep healing work to help people to sync up all of their their being and to really be true. So I've had a lot of healing since then. And if I look back now, knowing what I know, 20 some years later, my goodness, (laughs) even more than that, what I can see is that, wow, my nutrition was really bad and nutrition plays a role in mood and in, in emotions. And I was on an emotional roller coaster during my teens. You know, hormones are all over the place. You know, just I, I had a number of things to contend with. So my nutrition was not on point had a lot of things going on in in our family, and so didn't feel the love, didn't feel the support. And maybe all I wanted was that deer to look at me with love. And maybe that was me. Rather than always looking on the outside for something to come to us, 
Maybe it's about mustering up that sense of hope, that sense of love, self-love, self-compassion. And I've really learned that over time, that's for sure. But that's not an easy, like a quick takeaway I can tell anybody and as far as how I, how I got there or even how you can get there. Everybody has their own path and that's what makes us unique and truly blue. But I will talk about some different takeaways for you because based on all the things that I've experienced in my deep pit of despair as well as my bright lights of healing, thanks to all the healers and practitioners and all the different people that I've worked with over the years, there have really been a number of bright lights, a number of shining stars that I think could help many people. So here are my three takeaways for this podcast. And these are all to help you go deeper into your blue, into your ocean if you like water, or into your sky if you prefer air and stars and planets. So here's what I'm thinking. And of course, you know, you're the boss. You get to choose. Three is the number of creativity, and that's why I like to put that out there, three creative solutions. But you are the master of your own health. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You know yourself best. So I'm going to give you some more, um, I would say, intensive strategies to go deeper on your blue. And then I'm going to give you, out of the three, I'm going to give you one that's easy peasy in case you're not ready to go so deep. Okay, ready? Here they are. The first one is, I'm going to go back to that concept of feed your demons or get to know your monster. Love your monster. That would be the title of my book. Love your monster. Because <laughs> your monster within is, is seeking that love. And you know how to love. So how do you do that? Because that feels like a great big ball of what do I do with it? Well, lots of different strategies. First of all, identify what it is within you that feels like a monster. And there can be a lot of different things here. Maybe, you know, for me, for much of my life, it was a lot of anxiety. You know, I, I had my bouts of depression, but the anxiety was like a plague. It was following me. You know, my heart would race, um, you know, just always feeling like I was a deer in the headlights, literally, back to the deer. I never felt like I was at peace. I felt like I always had to be on this driver mode. That was truly my demon. And sometimes that demon comes up again and I realize, oh, Deanna, check, got to get back into that seat of self-love. For another person, I'll give you an example of somebody else who I clearly remember her demon. Her demon was cancer. So I knew Virginia years ago in my 20s when I was doing a lot of this really deep excavating work. Had a lot of emotional issues then too. And I went through about four years where I was working intensively with healers. And as part of that whole healing journey, I got to meet a lot of other people who were looking for healing. I mean, I think we're all looking for healing all the time, <laughs> just in different ways. But I was going about it in certain classes, working with therapists and um, energy workers of various types. And I got to meet this woman, Virginia. So I was in my late 20s. Virginia was in her 70s. And she was just diagnosed with cervical cancer. So for Virginia, her demon was her cervical cancer. And this has stuck with me 20 years later. 
what Virginia did was she did the feed your demons approach. At that time, it, nobody knew about feed your demons. It's just, this is what she did. She brought out a discussion with her cervix. So she told all of us how she had this visualization. And sometimes she would journal it where she would imagine all of her body organs sitting around a table, like they were having a discussion. The cervix, of course, got center stage and was at the head of the table because all eyes were on the cervix. It was the cervix that had cancer. But then she had the liver, the pancreas, small intestine, bile duct. She had all these other organs around to talk with the cervix. And so she imagined her body working together as this great big system this web-like configuration with all the different organs interrelating. And what I think is, is really interesting is not that she came out victorious in the way of squashing cancer and, and living until she was 100. No. What she did find out was how to live more authentically with cancer. She was at peace. She wasn't tormented. Yeah, she, she continued to do classes and such, but she really had this approach of looking at cancer in the eye and loving her body as much as she could when she was going through it. I almost feel like crying as I'm talking about it because, yeah, you know, so many times we think of illness as a battle. Like, I'm, I'm going to survive cancer and you know, as though it's it's something on the outside of us and, and we have no control. And, and maybe it's less about, you know, surviving. It's, it's thriving. It's being victorious in ways that are authentic to us. I think that's really the heart. At least from working with people with cancer for five years, that's, that's what I feel is, is really rewarding to people. Sometimes they can't make sense of why they got cancer. They can't make sense of how to get rid of the cancer, but they can look the cancer in the eye and they can love their bodies all that much more. So <laughs> I kind of went on here for number one is, is your action step, but here's the action step. Identify your demon or your monster and start to love it. Start to love it in the ways that are healing. Maybe you journal, you start having a dialogue like Virginia did where she started having a conversation with her cervix, with all the other organs. The liver would talk to the cervix. Or maybe you work with a therapist, somebody who can actually talk you through. You know, I did cognitive behavioral therapy for a good year. And that was really interesting because it shifted my framework. It shifted my thinking and put me back into that locus of control where I didn't feel overwhelmed by the demon. It's a little bit of a different approach. It wasn't as much love. It was more about understanding and acceptance. And we need some of that too. So do whatever you can to understand your, your true blue demon. And I love how um, in this book, Feed Your Demon, she talks about even personifying and, and creating a vision of that demon, which I think is just so fantastic. You're going to love that book. Again, it's, it's called Feed Your Demons. Now, the next thing I think would be great for you to get into is dreams. Why do I say that? What does that have to do with going deeper with your blue? Well, if blue encourages sleep 
And blue encourages looking at symbols and things that are underneath the surface. Sometimes things underneath the surface aren't always in our conscious mind. Sometimes they're in our unconscious. They're in our subconscious. And where do we let that play out? In our dreams. And so letting that nighttime vision of symbols and, and things to come forth. So what I'm thinking here for number two is to get a seven-day dream journal. Just carve out seven days of your life where all you're really focused on when it comes to your health is your dreams. And what you're going to find is you're, you're going to have certain symbols that are going to come to you. And when you wake up in the morning, I want you just to write down the words, the objects. So if you have a dream of a house burning down, rather than write out the whole dream, just write out the objects like house and fire and maybe any people that were involved. Just write out the objects and see if there's a story there. And you know what? Don't ask anybody to interpret your dreams. Shove away all of those dream analysis books because you are special. You have different connections to dreams. I would say don't look to other people to give you their interpretations. Go with your own. Go with you, what you feel. For example, one of the dreams that I had throughout my life that kept coming up, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I had dreams about me needing to go to the bathroom, and I had to go to the bathroom really bad, and I couldn't find a, a toilet, and the toilets I did find had no doors, so people saw me. So kind of an exposing dream. And what I took away from that is not the literal meaning of a bathroom or a toilet or excrement or defecating or anything like that. What I actually took away was that I needed to let go. I need to let go of something and it might have involved some exposure. That dream came up over and over again. And yeah, there was a point that I got into all of the dream journals, but they were all saying different things, all of those books out there. And so then I finally realized, you know what? I've got to figure this out on my own. What does it mean to me every time I have that dream? So I want you to write down your dreams. Write down your objects. Now, if you say to me, hey, wait, Deanna, I don't dream. I'm barely sleeping three to four hours a night or I wake up. I'm not remembering my dreams, whatever it is. Here's what I want you to do then. When you first wake up, I want you to be in the really in the rhythm of going, just having your eyes closed and seeing how your body feels after you've been sleeping. And I want you to jot some notes on that. Again, bringing us back to bodily awareness, which is so key. And your body has actually absorbed the symbols and the story of your dreams. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night, your heart is pounding and racing and you're sweating and you're like, oh my gosh, that dream was so intense. And maybe I don't remember the dream, but my body does. My body has experienced the dream. So note impressions within your somatic self, within your body throughout the night. If you do wake up, jotting a couple notes. And then when you wake up in the morning, that's if you don't dream. Because your body, again, will remember. All right, now those are two pretty extensive takeaways and things for you to do. Let me give you an easy peasy one. This is the last one. The last one to help you to go deep into your blue. And this is a food one. How can I resist, right? Being a nutritionist. 
So what I would love for you to do is to spend three days, instead of the seven days with the dream journal, now three days eating a lot more blue-purple foods. Now, there was a study that came out like in 2009, and I think it was from Neutralite. They surveyed about 1,500 people, and they found that 8 out of 10 Americans were missing out on getting a full rainbow in their diet. So, what color were people falling short on mostly? You guessed it, blue-purple. We're not even eating blue. And the B for blue connects to B for brain. Remember that association, then you'll remember this conversation. So what you can do is every opportunity you have to begin eating blue foods. And you know what? They're in short supply. So we have to keep our eye out for them. We need our insight, our vision to really look for them. So blueberries, blackberries, you know, there's so many different berries. Don't just focus on blueberries, of course. Get the whole gamut of different dark colored berries, those deep hues of blue-purple. Lots of different ones out there. And you can also do blue or purple cauliflower when it's in season or purple carrots, which are kind of, they're probably more purple, but that borders on the blue side. Or even purple kale or kind of the, the, the bluish broccoli. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's it's such a beautiful broccoli when it turns that kind of blue color. Sometimes it, it gets, there are certain varieties that are a little bit more blue than others. So get some blue-purple foods. Make the most of them. Really be on guard for them. And you're going to find that some of them are going to be more expensive than perhaps their regular green or other color varieties. But you know what? Because they're so precious, they are even giving you more nutrient density. So they're a little bit higher in price sometimes when you find purple carrots instead of orange carrots, but purple carrots will give you two to three times the nutrient density that an orange carrot will give you. So how about that? Woo! All right, let me summarize these things quickly because I talked a lot about each one and you might have forgotten what they, they are. So number one is feed your demon, figure out what your demon is, and figure out how you want to get into that space in a way that feels safe and healing for you. Number two, pay attention to your dreams for seven days. Do a dream journal, write down the objects that come to you, and see if you can put together a deeper story of what's on the inside. What is your blue showing you? And then the last one is to get a concentration of blue-purple foods for three days straight. And get a variety, not just the same ones. Get a variety and see how you feel. Because a lot of those blue-purple compounds, they make their way into certain parts of the brain responsible for learning and memory. Got that? Okay, lovelies. It has been a pleasure talking with you about blue. I think I'm even feeling a little bit warmed up to blue after having this conversation with you. So thank you for that. And... As always, we're here to share tips and takeaways and tools to help you live more colorfully. So until next time, we'll talk then and be living the rainbow. Take care. Bye-bye.